All right, so would you go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody? Yes, my name is Mark Thomas. I am 46 years old. I've been uh, natural farming for, uh, natural farming as we know it, for about four years or so. Been gardening for well over 20 years. I am a uh, senior project manager in uh, construction. That's kind of my profession. And gardening is something that's always been a hobby that I have, you know, kind of just grown uh, here recently on social media with. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Okay. Do you remember how, like, when you can't, when you were growing up, were people gardening around you? Yeah, uh, my parents always had a garden. I remember growing up, my dad was in the military, but whenever we could, we would have a small garden. And then when we finally, when he retired and we got our, you know, kind of our first house as a family, we always had a garden. And I helped out a little bit here and there coming up. You know, I was always, seemed like I was doing sort of the grunt work, you know, <laughs> the tilling and things like that. So that's kind of my early experiences, you know, growing things or with gardening. Okay. Hey, I know when I was a kid, my dad had a garden and I remember doing the grunt work, like uh, digging up the grass and putting down the newspaper as weed block before we planted things. So I know about the grunt work. Exactly. All the fun stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah the stuff that makes you just want to keep on gardening. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, thankfully that didn't it didn't break me down too bad, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the first. Is, and I think it was good just to kind of get hands on with the soil and, and all that at an early age. So I, I'm glad for it, you know. Okay. Hey, so earlier you mentioned that you are a natural farmer. So can you kind of break down what natural farming is? What natural farming is, is pretty much as the name says, you know, natural. It's a natural way of growing your, your plants your vegetables, any kind of plant that you want to grow and doing it as nature does is, is kind of the principle behind it. So what that means is obviously no chemicals are brought to your garden, no fertilizers, which are man-made. Everything in natural farming is based on indigenous microorganisms, uh, which are in the soil and growing all around us, you know, everywhere we look in the forest and everywhere. So natural farming is a way of Growing your plants in a very clean way with no chemicals, no pesticides, and most of the nutrients are things that you make from around your garden space. So you said it has to do with the microbes. Are these the same microbes that we find in the soil or we want in the soil? you for indigenous microorganisms and the ones you want to focus on initially are in the forest with near your garden you know in the vicinity of your garden where big strong trees are growing you know lots of thick vegetation because what the forest does is it doesn't need fertilizer no one adds anything there everything that grows in that forest is basically and this started by the relationships between the soil microorganisms and the plant roots. So when you make your first collection of IMO or indigenous microorganisms, you want to find the ones that are naturally in your area growing the strongest vegetation. And what happens if you live in an area that doesn't have any big forest or big trees around? How are you able to then capture microbes? There's a few different techniques. So urban farmers a lot of times have some challenges. So one thing you can do is go to your local parks, you know, look for, you know, common areas like that. And that's a good a resource. If you can't really get out and about, 
then you can collect, uh, do an IMO collection, you know, on your own property. And I kind of uh, have a method where I put forest soil from the forest floor, leaf mold, or even a good garden soil. You can put it in the bottom of a, a cooler, and then you can collect IMO out of that into uh, into rice, which is your IMO one uh, collection. So. There's a few different ways to go about it, but if you can, you really want to get some diversity out of that forest around you. And once you have stuff from there, you can go in different areas and collect. And all that will just add more diversity to your garden. Okay. So the more microbes we can collect, I guess, in other places, then the more microbes we're putting into our garden soil. And then that makes our soil healthier? Yes, because um, what you're doing is, you know, like, like I said, the, the, the microbes are the reason that the forests are growing. So when you collect some from where you live, now that's going to strengthen your garden because your garden doesn't necessarily have, you know, those same microbes which are connected to those trees. So once you bring those in, now you have, now those are kind of growing in your soil. Now, if you were to take a collection from a more dry region, then that region would also have microbes. And when you bring them to your garden, all of them will not survive, but the ones that do are now drought resistant and they survive in your garden because because they're growing. So now your plants are going to have their relationship with microbes that gives them a little bit more drought resistant. Okay. So that's kind of the idea behind collecting microbes in different areas. Okay. So how do you actually go about collecting the microbes? The best way and the easiest way is basically to get some rice and, and natural farming is a lot, a lot about using what you have. But a great medium to collect microbes is white rice, which has been partially, partially cooked. So just a little bit more firm than you would eat it. So you take, uh, you take rice and you either a cardboard box or a wooden box or even like a wicker basket and make sure you have enough holes in it, but not holes big enough to where, you know, can get into it. So um, you're basically going to put rice in a box and then find that location on the forest floor, scrape out a, a spot to where you get down into the, the good part of the soil, like right under the leaf matter and everything. And then you're just going to place that box right there on the soil and cover it with like maybe a plastic bin or a tote just to keep the rain out of it. Within a period of three to 10 days, just depending on how cool or how hot it is, the microbes from the forest will grow up through this rice. And then when you collect it, uh, you'll see a huge array of colors and, and fuzzy pieces and things. And, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that diversity of microbes. Each color, each different texture in that collection is now a group or colony of microbes that came from that forest soil that you can now take to your garden. Okay. So where did you first learn about natural farming? Like, where is this concept and idea from? Who started it? So it's called Korean natural farming is the technique as it's known today. And it was developed by Master Cho, who is from Korea. And him and his son also developed Jadam, which is a spinoff of natural farming. So it developed from, you know, obviously a thousand years ago before, you know, man started using chemical fertilizers or even hundreds of years ago is where it started because there was no 
spiked fertilizer. There was no, you did everything you needed right there on your farm. And what happened was man invented chemical fertilizers, you know, 70 or 100 years ago. And then now big corporations got big because yes, that fertilizer worked. And, but the problem was they made us forget how to farm before they invented this stuff. And that's where we are today. So what Master Cho did is they brought that back to say, hey, don't forget, this is how we did it before chemicals. So this, they're not needed. And that's kind of where natural farming is now. Do you think that other regions had their own, I guess, like forms of natural farming that they practiced? Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. I study, I study those as well. India does really a lot of things with natural farming and using, you know, what you have available to you. I notice a lot of the Asian countries are more creative or, or more in tune to still using the older methods. So definitely, I think each culture has their different ways and methods, and it's based kind of on their geography and, you know, what's available in their area and what they need in their area. Okay. So you keep saying that you use basically natural ingredients and kind of common ingredients for natural farming. So what are some of the, I guess, the terms or the things that people are making, the inputs or the outputs that people are making when it comes to natural farming? So one of the, some of the really easy ones, and um, one is the one I recommend to most people right away. If you're going to start the natural farming way and just get away from chemicals and do it yourself, would be a Jadam, Jadam liquid fertilizer or liquid fertilizer, however you want to call it. So what that is, is a container. And these recipes are all scalable to any size. So when I, that's why I keep, that's why they're done that way, because you can scale them large or small. So a given container with half plant material of your choice. And so if you if you cut your grass every week and you don't use chemicals on your lawn and you bag your clippings, you can start a bucket or barrel with half grass clippings. Half plant material, fill the rest with water, and toss in a handful of either IMO, one, two, three, or four, I mean, two, three, or four, whatever you may have, or forest floor soil or garden soil. And what that is, is a very simple fertilizer that microbes and water will break down the plant material really fast, and then that can be used to water right back into your garden as a, as a really cheap fertilizer. So that'd be the number one input I would recommend to someone getting started. From there, so that's one, that'd be just simple water, plant, and microbes. And then there are other ones, say like if you have a large amount of aloe or big aloe plants, what I do is I trim my aloe plants and then use those and make a FPJ, which is a fermented plant juice. And that's more of on, on the natural farming side. Jadam is like no sugar. Natural farming is like sugar. So what they do is on natural farming, you would take those aloe leaves and then chop them up, combine them with equal weight sugar, and then allow that to ferment in a jar with a breathable top for five days. And now at the end of that five days, you would extract that juice, not press it or squeeze it. You only want to extract what the sugar has pulled out of the plant via osmosis. And what happens is the, the sugar pulls out all the um, plant growth hormones, enzymes, and various other minerals out of the plant. And then now you can use that as another input to water back into your garden, you know, to feed your microbes and your plant. Okay. So, so when you said the liquid fertilizer, you said you can put plant material in there. Is there a, 
like a specific kind of plant material you can put in? Or do you put any kind of plants, including weeds, I guess, old crops from your garden? You can literally put anything in a bucket with some water and some microbes and turn it into a fertilizer? Yes, sir. Yeah, you can. And the biggest thing is one of the best things to grow a plant is the plant itself. Because if you think about it, I'm going to grow tomatoes, then a JLF with old tomatoes and old tomato plants now pinned down to their, you know, to their smallest form would be everything that a tomato needs to grow. So I grow a lot of peppers. I grow tomatoes. And the things I grow, I like to make specific JLF. So I have several different ones. And then I'll also just have a random generic one, which will just be roots or weed or, or, or someone weeded a flower bed or anything like that. Just random toss in there, too. So you got so many options when it comes to making these customized fertilizers. Yeah, I learned from you about the uh, the JLF right? Because I have a bin full of tomatoes. They were my fall tomatoes. They've been breaking down in water and IMO now for probably six, seven months. I'm waiting for the spring because that's going to be my main source of fertilizer for my tomatoes. Perfect. Yep. That's how you do it. One thing I noticed, um, Tim, and keep in mind on the JLFs, I did some, um, I checked them through like some microscope testing just to do some visuals. And um, one thing I noticed was that when you first make it that first month, the microbes are at their highest level. And then from one month to six months, they slowly degrade if you don't have any more plant material. And then after six months, the microbe populations dwindle again. So the point is, don't be afraid to keep adding more plant material in there, especially as they get older is what I've noticed with that. I've been adding a handful of comfrey to it probably every few weeks. There you go. Then you're keeping things perfect. That that idea makes sense to me that eventually the microbes would probably start to run out of food or things to, to eat, right? So then they start to die back. That was my thought process. I don't know if that's what actually happens. That is it. Yeah, that's something that, you know, my thought process as well. And then I confirmed it. So that's it. So we're definitely on the right page. Uh, one cool thing, though, is is the JLFD, you don't lose those nutrients. You know, you only lose the microbial activity because it's not like a compost. Whatever goes in pretty much stays in. So it stays potent, but you just don't, um, you lose a little bit of the microbe activity. Okay, so you mentioned the IMO, right? So if I go and I capture some IMO and then I want to put these microbes back into my garden, how do I go about doing that? Okay, uh, so you you made your rice collection, and then now when you bring that home, you weigh out equal rice weight of rice with all those microbes to sugar, and it's just a simple combine them by hand and store them in a jar. And what that does, um, the sugar when you combine with the microbes, it actually pulls the moisture out of their bodies via osmosis similar to how we did with the FPJ, but now it's pulling the, uh, the moisture out of those micro bodies and then they go dormant. So you have this nice collection now, which is chill, stable. And uh, when you want to use it, the ratio is one part to 1,000 parts. And what that equals out to is roughly uh, a teaspoon per gallon of this rice sugar mix with your IMO2. 
the simplest way is just to add that to a can of water, stir it around, and then now you can pour that into your garden. If you made a JLF, now you can also take that IMO2, add you a little bit of JLF, same thing, water into your garden. So the more input you start building up, the stronger, you know, the solution you're going to be able to water back into your garden. That's the easiest way to use IMO2. Now, the in the traditional process, it needs to go a step further, which would be to IMO3 and then from there to IMO4. So those are different steps in the process as well. I haven't gotten to making IMO3 yet because I, you shared a resource with me that kind of talked about how to make it. And it says you need a place outside. And I didn't have anywhere that had contact with the ground in order to make IMO3. So I'm, I'm waiting to do yeah, that. Yeah, understood. Yeah, I mean, that that is, you know, that's key. You want, those are certain things you really want. And you can, if you really think, push it, you could do it under a tarp too, you know, kind of on the ground and then cover with a tarp when you go away. So you got a few little options there. With it. So you mentioned that Jadam and Natural Farming were founded by the same people? The father and son. The father and son. Uh, the okay. father, yeah, the father developed the natural farm and as we know it, and then the son and the father kind of, you know, branched off and did the Jadam as well, which was another step. So they put out a lot of information, you know, you know as he, he developed it, but then it's, it's been slowly evolving along the way. Like, like a lot of people now in my mindset is too much sugar is not good for you, the body. So too much sugar is also not good for, me, for your garden. You know, you can't be all sugar with your inputs. You know, Jadam is very important to me because it balances you out. You know, just like you can't have a diet too rich in sugar, you won't be healthy. Same with your garden. That's why, you know, using both of those to me is, is key. Can you talk about some of the other inputs that you can make that involving natural farming? Yeah, one, a lot of people fish. So if you catch fresh fish, you can make an FAA, which is a fish amino acid. And basically, you, you eat the meat, you know, you catch your fish, you, you eat your meat, but all your guts, uh, leftovers, heads, you know, whatever's left over from that process of cleaning your fish, you can combine that with equal weight sugar. And again, a handful of uh, mold, leaf mold, or forest soil, or IMO. Basically, and just combine that and this process takes a year to really be done correctly. 10 months, I would say minimum is my preference. And basically, you're just going to leave this in a bucket or a container covered with a breathable top. And what will happen is the sugar will pull the same things out of the fish like it does with plants, which would be like the um, enzymes and all those good things, amino acids and that kind of thing and all that nitrogen. And then the microbes will work and be breaking it down at the same time. So when that FAA is finished, the liquid you get from it is readily available to the plant, you know, right now. You know, that's a nice, easy one to make. So we've talked about FPJ, you got uh, FFJ, which are fermented fruit juice. Uh, so if you if folks grow a lot of fruit trees, you have surplus, you know, you grow peaches, you got a lot of leftover peaches. Uh, you can combine those with sugar, ferment, and then use that at water back onto your peaches. And the same with any fruit. It's preferred to use three different fruit in an F fermented fruit juice if you have them. If you only have one, that's fine, but three makes a nice one. And then from there, you get a little bit more in detailed and in-depth of how to make them. So all of these natural farming inputs that you keep saying the same thing, you're just mixing equal ratios of sugar with the product, or I guess the fish or the fruit 
or the plant material, and then you're just letting it do its thing. Yeah, that's those three. Those are fairly easy. You know, we have OHN, which is an herbal nutrient, which is five different herbs. Um, It's ginger, garlic, cinnamon, licorice, and angelica. And that's a way more detailed process. So basically, you're going to ferment each one of those separately. Um, If they're dry, you know how we over here, we get dry cinnamon, Mm -hmm. then you have to hydrate them first with alcohol, then ferment, and then combine alcohol, and then stir each one for 14 days in one direction, and then you can pour each one off and combine them, and that'll be OHN, which is an herbal nutrient. So some of them them get very detailed with the process, and some of them are easier than others. Okay. That's good to know that there's kind of different levels when it comes to this, right? Everybody can get in and get started with something like JLF or FPJ, FFJ, or they could go really hard, right? And get to that OHN level. That's right. And and it's pretty, that's what's so wonderful about it. And each step of the way, you're doing better for your plants than if you didn't do this at all. You know, that's what's so great. And if you go into it more and more, the replants will just reward you that much more. And most of us, we like mixing and hands on or cooking. I know you, I do too. If you like cooking and things like that, then and you follow a recipe, you can follow the same recipes here. It's no different. You know, it just takes a little bit of, you know, reading the recipe, getting familiar and, and checking with folks that can help you out like myself or others. Hey, so that, that FAA you were talking about, is that when it's finished breaking down after 10 months, is that basically the equivalent of like fish emulsion that you could buy from the store? It's similar, but it's better because, okay, when I make my FAA, nothing was lost. Like there was no heat in the process. There was no boiling. There was no, there's no, you didn't lose anything in the process. Like fish emulsions, they boil, skimming this off. They're doing that and they end up with whatever that final product is. I prefer this way because one, number one, making it myself. And then number two, you're not buying it. And it's better because if you check out what the final product you get out of it, plants are going to respond way better to the FAA. But that would be your high nitrogen fertilizer. Yes. So each one of these fertilizers that we're talking about making, each one of these inputs, I'm assuming you use them at different times. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I use, I do, I sure do. So which ones are used during like the the vegetative process and which ones are used during the flowering process? So I use them all, all the time. What I don't do though is like FAA is for veg only. Okay. Like if you were to use FAA when your plant is like producing tomatoes or producing fruit, then it's going to be too much. The fruit may be too plentiful for the plant. Like there's certain things you don't want to use at certain times. And then more for flour and you're getting into your water soluble potassiums, you know, your phosphorus inputs, which are made from charred plants and charred bones. And so what I do is say, like, if a plant is vegging, I'm going to be a little higher on the FAA, just a little phos- uh, WSK, and then just a little bit of, you know, of phosphorus. As I'm transitioning, I'm going to go less on the, you know, nitrogen thing, and I'm going to increase the other two. So it's kind of, you know, common sense how the plant's growing, kind of matching that stage of plant's growth. So prior to getting into natural farming, did you, like, garden 
I don't know, conventionally, organically, prior to growing naturally? I did. Kind of started, there was a phase of hydroponics, as I'm sure everyone has done. Mm -hmm. Bottles, you know, green, brown, you know, red, you know what I'm saying? So (laughs) I went through that phase. (laughs) I kind of went through that phase, but then that light kind of switched because I went to, um, you know, out of high school, I went to Virginia Tech and my first major was uh, forestry and wildlife. So I always have had a natural uh, side to me. So even, you know, when used in certain, you know, those hydro methods and things like that, I really didn't, wasn't crazy about them because I knew that whatever went into the plant, you know, went to me. So from there, I went to what, you know, kind of mainstream calls organic, you know, everything on up. Now, now I'm, instead of three bottles of chemicals, I got three bottles of something that's marked, you know, OMRI, which is better. So, but not really where we still want to be. So that was kind of the progression. And then from those, you know, organic bottles, I said, well, let me ditch the bottles. I mean, you know, let me amend my own soil with one ingredient items and, you know, and, and, and grow and without the use of anything but water, you know. And so then the natural farming kind of got into me. So that's kind of the progression that, with me, how I got to this point. Um, and obviously never going back to step more. So do you notice a difference in yields or quality of food growing, let's say, organically versus natural farming Jadam methods? So I have grown uh, the same plants both ways. And what you get is with natural farming is you're going to get um, everything's going to taste better. Things going to smell better. Everything's going to look better. You may not quite get the yield. Okay. So if you normally got a pound of tomatoes, you may get, you know, three quarters of a pound, you know, of tomatoes, just as a reference thing. But to me, the peace of mind of the cleanliness and if you really wanted to, I'm sure you could increase your yield, you know, and match it with some additional work. But just, pound, you know, pound for pound or, or technique for technique, you can't beat the natural way. I mean, if you're not quite getting as much, you just have to maybe grow a little bit more. Yeah, I hear you talking about how you can make a lot of these things from basic ingredients that we probably have at our house. And it just makes me kind of wonder about the whole I don't know, organic, even conventional farming, whatever, just kind of why isn't natural farming more known to the masses? Why isn't this practiced by big time farmers, big time growers? The reason that it's not more known is because if more people knew about it, we wouldn't put up with the stuff that the people with all the money are doing. So obviously us knowing more about natural farming would be detrimental to big agriculture. So number one, they will never promote it because there's nowhere for them to make money. You know, all this knowledge that I got this knowledge for free and I give it for free. And the, the reason I do that is because if you, myself, other folks on that we got, have some platforms don't say anything, no one will know. You know what I mean, Tim? Like, hopefully from this conversation, we touch a couple and they touch a couple because it's money is why everyone doesn't know. That's usually with, the, with a lot of things. What's up, world? I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, then you should head over to YouTube and subscribe to the Big City Gardener YouTube channel. I'm going to have videos to go along with a lot of these podcasts. And besides that, over there, I give you a bunch of information to help you just grow it and even to help you just grow it better. All right, let's get back to the show. So (laughs) I have so many questions. I'm trying to just kind of stay 
I'm trying to make sure that everybody can follow along with the conversation with these questions that I have. I know. I believe <laughs> it. It's just tough. It's tough. <laughs> so basically, natural farming is more organic than organic growing. 100%. You said, that's, you said that wonderfully because that's why when someone, you know how it is, Tim, you get a lot of questions and you're like me, you like to answer all your questions. And I do too. And, and that's why I don't like to entertain those things talking about organic because organic, as we know it, as the world know it, knows it and those stamps that they put on things and you know your stuff's organic. All that was was another grasp by big people with big money to profit off of, okay, well, some of these folks don't want the chemical stuff we're growing. So we'll do a new thing called organic for them. See, so it boils down to money. So if you grew something on your land, you knew what you grew, you harvested it, you made a fertilizer out of it, then you grew food, you're not nothing. I don't need anyone to tell me what that is. <laughs> I know what that is, you know. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So those are things that we got to watch as, as people because even though, you know, they tricked us. And then as we get smarter and say, hey, what about those old methods? Well, now you got to watch them because they'll adapt and come up with something new and then they'll bottle that and that'll be the new the new thing. So we got to got to stay on our toes. Yeah. Like I was introduced to natural farming. I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, but I didn't pay much attention to it. Right. I had a buddy who had a farm out in California and he would go around on the weekends. I'd go up there and visit him and he would set these, like you said, wicker baskets or maybe they were bamboo baskets. He would put them under these big trees everywhere throughout his property. And I, at that time, I was growing organically and I never really asked him enough questions, right? I was impressed, like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. But, you know, like, I'm just going to make this compost tea. And I'm upset because I feel like I missed an opportunity to get a lot of information from him. Right. I feel you. It's almost one of those things at the time, you know, young buck, young man doing your thing, got it kind of figured out. And you realize, dang, I probably that was an opportunity that I could have got some info right there. You know, I, I know exactly what you mean, living and learning. That would have been dope to really learn from him, though, you know. Yeah, it really would have, because I remember him having the big tubs, the 55-gallon drum barrels making the the fish. He just called it fish fertilizer. And I remember they would go catch the fish down at the river, come back, clean them. And everything they kept, they would throw it into these big drums and make fertilizer from it. That's right. And that, you know what, Tim? If you say it like that, doesn't that just sound natural? It's just how it should be, right? Yeah, I mean, because more than likely, that's how it was prior to, like you said, the money coming into the agriculture industry. You found a way to use everything that you had. And when you realized, hey, this kind of helps with the plants that I'm growing, you adapt and you do that more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right. So I feel like people are getting a good amount of information about natural farming and kind of what it is from this. Mm-hmm. That's good. People shouldn't be, in my opinion, you shouldn't be afraid to get out and try it because it's just growth with gardening, right? Every season you grow something different and maybe you try a different method of growing. Maybe you hop into natural farming this year. 
That's right. And the other cool thing is there's a lot of leeway with it, too. You know, you, you be the master of your garden, you know, take a little bit of this and, and kind of do what makes sense within the principles. You know, if we're conserving microbes and we're not putting anything in the garden that hurt it. And then you got a little leeway there to kind of use what you have and, and make some different things that work. Figure out some new methods that go along with it. Everything hasn't been figured out yet. That's true. So where do you use all of these inputs that you create? So I have a home garden at my house. I've been living in this same house since like 2001. So you can imagine the, the I don't have much space here. Like everything's grown out, plants. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got dogwood trees that, man, I've planted when they were like a pencil and they're, you know, 15 feet tall. Like I'm like, where did time go? Right. You know what I mean? So I grow some here. I got couple small beds here and a, 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 another uh, little pepper raised bed here. But the majority of where I do things is that our we have an income property right across town. And my runs her business in the building and then and the, all the land is where my place and I, we call that Grove Gardens because it's over on Grove Avenue in Old Town Petersburg. So what that is, is a, it's about three quarters of an acre total. I mean, that's really big. It's one of the bigger lots down in that area. And what I'm doing there is my goal is to create an urban natural farm. And there was a lot of slashes, slash, you know, learning place, you know, slash place to teach and a hands-on, you know, kind of overall hands-on experience. And I can kind of go deeper into what I want to do there if you want. Or, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. What, you have classes there at some point? Because if you are, I, I, I'm trying to be there. Well, see, now that's where I, I do. I want to have gatherings, Tim. Like, I want to have, I don't necessarily want to call it like a class because what I want is I want like-minded individuals such as you, myself, and, you know, our gang of folks we got on IG and, and all all that a lot of good folks there you know kind of like let's get together out here and you know let's work and build this IMO pile together you know you learn and a little something as, as you go and then you know teaching a little something as you go as well you know so I think I can see stuff like that happening and uh I have a uh, workshop which is um which should be delivered next month which is pretty much a little, a little building I had having the, the Amish build and it's going to be my microbes workshop and inside of that I want to I have a uh, four by four grow tent that'll grow inside of that where I will show you know build a living soil and kind of show you know you can grow peppers or whatever you want indoors living soil just kind of store my stuff in there and, and be a place that I can work on different things and so I'm trying to make a kind of overall natural farming uh, experience you know with this property and, and you know slash food for because I'm going to grow everything to grow all the food right there all you know, in one location. So I think it'd be pretty cool. How long have you had Grove Gardens? Or how long have you been set up over there kind of turning it into the garden? We got it uh, two years ago. And I kind of started right away, just slowly. It was nothing but grass. So it was a building and then immediately just cut grass, a city lot. So I've just slowly been building it up. And I had kind of like what I call phase one, which was part just right around the building to just more or less beautify that, planted some blueberry trees and stuff there. And then I've just started on this phase two, which is a big portion. I just started on that this past fall. So how many phases do you see in your head for this place? That's it. It's two. 
Yeah, phase one, phase two is it because phase two is pretty much the built is just finishing it out. It's like planting everything and all the different beds. I'm going to put like a big uh, circle bed and fugles and herb spirals. It's going to have a lot of, I want to have all the different types of ways of gardening kind of included. Mm -hmm. And then a plethora of plants that are beneficial and useful and taste good. I like the vision a lot, actually. Whenever you get it up and running and, and uh, you know, can move around freely again, I I'm definitely want to come out to Virginia and check it out. Yeah, let's definitely do it. I'm hoping the spring or summer, you know, by summer, maybe people are moving again. We'll see how it goes. But definitely, you know, you got a permanent invite, my man, anytime. That sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. All right, so I have a couple more questions for you, man. So you're in Virginia. Do you have any tips for anybody who is in that same region or gardening zone that you're in for just any new gardeners getting started gardening? Yeah, I like, you know, natural farming is pretty, it's good anywhere, anywhere around the world. So my tips are always don't even start, you know, buying, you know, bottles and things like or, or bags. Start out with Start with some healthy soil. That'd be my thing if you're going to grow anything. Start with healthy soil. And then also start a compost on the side. You know what I mean? Even if it's just a traditional compost pile where you toss in all your, your scraps or food scraps. To me, that that's just going to get you started off on the right foot. Because a lot of times gardeners, it's easy to buy bags of soil put it on a box or in a box and then now you bought plants, drop them in there. Now you're off and running, right. but, and then fertilize it. But then what happens is that's not sustainable because what happens is each year I got to go back to the store. I gotta go back and buy this. I got to refresh in that. I got to put more of this on there or else my plants are going to be deficient. So focus on starting with what you have and growing from there. And then if you need something for your plants, you know, add to it, but don't start off with the, don't, don't take the easy way. It's kind of my thing. So is it safe to say you like in-ground beds more than raised beds? I like both. Okay. My favorite bed is probably my table bed because it's like waist high. <laughs> so I'm like right there, you know, and I have to bend over, easy money. But like my method that I like best is probably Hugo culture because the long-term benefits of, of that, all that uh, good material that you started out with. Go ahead and explain what that is to anybody who might not know. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, if um, folks haven't uh, heard of Hugel culture, it was developed in Europe. I believe it was Germany, as a matter of fact. And the idea is that you take a any you know a patch of ground and you dig it out slightly. You don't necessarily have to dig it out, but you can, and, and a lot of people do. So you dig down maybe a foot, and now you're basically going to fill this void. You want to start with like bigger logs, like old tree logs, and then from there, like smaller sticks. And you're basically going to make a mound of organic material from logs to sticks to smaller pieces of mulch. And then onto your soil layers, which is which is where you'll grow your plants. And then you'll finally cover that with mulch. What you got is a mound, which is loaded with all kinds of good organic material. And over time, it breaks down. And then as it breaks down, your plant roots uh, grow down to it. And then so now th that starts feeding your plants uh, like a long-term, slow-release fertilizer. It's a very good way to grow. It saves on water, and there's a lot of good benefits of it. Yeah, I can vouch for this method. A lot of the tall raised beds that I've ever used, 
I always fill the bottom up with sticks, wood stumps, and I'll even put a lot of just wood chips or even hardwood mulch down at the bottom and then come back with soil. And, and it works. Yeah. I noticed that the level of the bed drops maybe like after a year or two. I can't remember how long it was, but the level of the bed dropped a few inches. But that, that usually happens in every raised bed that I've ever grown in. Definitely, yeah. The level of those uh, Hugo beds will drop. I have when I first started at phase one, um, all the brush that I cleared, I made my first, you know, Hugo bed on that property, and it's probably a good foot shorter than it was when I made it, and that was about two years ago. Yeah, that happens. So, yeah, I have a question for you. I see you talk about chop and drop whenever you're gardening and you're growing things. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, uh, chop and drop is basically, it kind of drives me crazy when I hear people at the end of the garden and they say they're going to pull their plants. So what basically what chop and drop is, I don't pull the plants, I leave the roots in the soil. So I'll chop the plants at soil level and then I will uh, chop those plants up and then drop them. In other words, mulch right back on top of where I cut the plants down from. And um, what that is, is that's doing a few things that um, that adds organic material in the form of plant residues back you know, right back to your soil. It uh, it acts as a mulch to help, you know, kind of retain water. And it lets those roots just be eaten and decomposed where they are without you disrupting the soil food web, you know. So I don't till, and, and, and so I don't like to pull. I do chop and drop, and that, that's a method that's been working great. And the other thing that's cool is, like, I've been chopping and dropping tomatoes in the same place for a few years, and what it does is, I don't have to replant the tomatoes. They keep volunteering, right? Uh, so that's been pretty cool to see that happen each year. Wait, you just said you plant tomatoes in the same spot every year. What about crop rotation? Isn't that something people always say you need to do? Rotate your crops. Don't grow the same thing in the same place. Yes, they do. They do say that. And that the reason that that's necessary is when you're doing that large scale agriculture practices, The reason you have to do that is because when they harvest, they take all that. When you grow, say, a crop of beans or whatever you grow, those plants took things out of that soil. And unless they're replenished, then the next round of plants you plant would have problems because there would be less of what that same crop took. So they have to rotate crops. The reason in natural farming you don't have to is just like nature. You know, nature does not rotate crops. Like if you see a forest, you know, you got oak trees growing there for hundreds and thousands of years. When one dies, another oak tree comes right up. It's only necessary when you're not adding your plant residues back into your garden. And just think when those oak trees die, all their leaves drop right there, all their branches drop, everything keeps going right back there. So everything they pulled out goes back. Whereas when larger agriculture, everything they pull out, they don't put back. So they substitute with more fertilizer now or rotating the crop then putting another fertilizer then coming back to that previous crop. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You're saying that the nutrients from the tomatoes or whatever you're growing, they're going back into the soil. So there's no need to rotate the crops because the soil is now enriched by the tomatoes that were 
I guess, cut, chopped and dropped right there. Yes, that's part of it. But then remember, I'm also adding all those other inputs and IMO as well. So it's kind of that complete natural farming, you know, package that you get. Now, it's not just the chop and, chop and drop. That's a, that's a big part of it. But it's also getting those JLFs watered in there with the tomatoes that are rotted, you know, breaking down. And then, you know, your FPJs and, and things like that. So what happens if... How would you go about chop and drop, or I guess maybe you don't do it if you were trying to plant something right afterwards, like succession planting in the bed that you had tomatoes or collards or something growing in? Oh yeah, I go right next, right next to the root. Like it's right as close to that root I can as, as my shovel or my little trowel can push down into. Because so obviously, directly on the root balls, you know, it's tough to cut through that. But yeah, I'll plant like I'll chop tomatoes. And I'll go right to the collard greens tomorrow. Like, I don't wait on that. And you'll leave the tomatoes, like you said, you chop and drop. So you're leaving the residue of the tomato, the leaves and the branches on the bed while the collards are growing. Yeah, so you put your collars right there and it looks crazy at, at first because you got a little tiny collar plants and then... <laughs> all shouldered up with, you know, kind of tomatoes that have broken all the way down flat. Right. But then within a few weeks, the collars really come. And then before you know it, just like we talked about that Hugo, Hugo bed, like the tomatoes that I chopped and dropped, you know, last or this end of the summer, they're like almost pressed all the way down. You know what I mean? So they're just slowly breaking on down in there. I started to mess around with the natural farming again last year really because of you. You like motivate and inspire me to do it, which is super dope. And I'm trying to just get deeper into it this year. So when we finish, I'm going to go start a, a FAA bucket because I've been putting it off for quite some time. Okay. You got some fish? Yeah, man. I got some, I have some leftover fish and I have a, we have a fish market out here. So I'll head down and get the, the extra backbones and the extra heads and things and use them to make soup sometimes. But I'm going to go ahead and try to make a fertilizer. I know, man. You keep fading back and forth on me. I'm like, what the are you for? I got you for a minute, and then you, know, you fade back, and I'm like, where are you going now? No, no. So, yeah, definitely get on that natural farm and get on in here, man. I'm here, man. I, I try, you know, like you, I, I just do different things, different times, different places. So, like I said, I still have... I still have some 20, I don't know, 25-gallon bins on the side of my house filled with different JLFs just waiting to be used, breaking down, and I keep adding to them. Okay. So you haven't, you didn't leave me, you did, you're still there. You're oh, still no, there. I'm still here, That's and I, st I, still, I still have the IMO collection. I still have jars tucked away, so every now and then I take a scoop out and mix it with some water and get a little cup of the JLF, mix it together, and feed it to my beds that's that's actually the secret man i had the best harvest i think i've had of tomatoes in the past eight nine years this past year i promise it was because of the the natural farming inputs that i was using because that's really the only thing that changed and you know man i've noticed man like we talked about the yields you know but i've been noticed and it seems like my everything the yields are getting better as time goes and I'm at, I know it has to do with just the soil getting better and the microbes getting stronger, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. No, I didn't I didn't go anywhere. You got me hooked. You you even you introduced me to the Jadam book. Yeah. <laughs> I ordered it and found the free copy online too. Like, no, I'm here. I'm here. That's what's up. Yeah, man. All right, man. Well, uh, before I let you go, can you let everybody know where they can find 
you at and the natural inputs that you sell? Where can they find those? You can um, definitely reach out to me on Instagram. Uh, Marco underscore is underscore growing. If you have any questions, I'll help you out there. I make products like, you know, and, and sometimes I have some extra. And if you're looking for anything, www.microbesbymarco.com. Yeah, just let me shoot me in a, a message and let me know and uh, I'll help you out. Thank you for being dope and thank you for taking time out of your day to do this interview. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate you, man. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, I grow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it.